My name's Ella Buchanan. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. You regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we're talking to Isla Buchanan. Yeah, so I'm Isla Buchanan. Um, I'm 19 years old, soon to be 20 at the end of the month. Um, and I'm a football referee um, and really heavily involved within within um, sort of football across um, all different areas from coaching. Used to play um, and now just mainly focus on refereeing. Um, I'm currently just about to start, hopefully in September, if this all goes to plan and we get back to college um, to study H&D, um, coaching and developing sport, um, and then hopefully at the end of that, potentially a job. I'm joined by Ryan and I'm joined by Ant, chaps. How are we? How are we feeling? End of the week, fry yay. How are we doing? Top of the world. Top of the Fresh world. Paint. Just, just... Fresh as paint. Yeah, just buzzing. Just, just <laughs> feeling the positive, the positive energy. vibe. Yeah, energy, energy crew. Energy crew. <laughs> I feel like I feel like what crunchy we're on about. I've got that Friday feeling. Yeah, exactly. It's Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. What? Bob Bamson, like then. that cat. Do you know in that drummer video with that fella's drumming in the cat? Oh yeah, the fo- it's the best video ever. That. Yeah. So I've seen this. You're gonna have to. Ah. If you, you must start building into your screen time, like uh, what yeah. we were talking about on Monday. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have another look. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, chaps, today we're talking to Ali Buchanan, and the opening question we've gone simple, which is kind of how we usually go. To be perfectly honest with you, but there we go. <laughs> we've interviewed quite a lot of Scottish people on this podcast, all of whom have been absolutely superb. So we had. Way back when, Aaron Connolly from Time to Tackle, hey. who we've now uh, partnered up with. We had Chris Awellamo, hey. David Cox, hey. Pat Nevin, hey. and now the fantastic Isla Buchanan. Hey. So quite simply put, and Ant, I'm going to come to you first. Who is your favourite Scottish person from the world of football? Oh, from the world of football. It's got to be Coisty, hasn't it? It's got to be Coisty. Yeah. It's got to be Coisty. He's just such a man of many talents. Him, him on Question of Sport was fantastic. Um, and, you know, obviously a great footballer, but we'll forget about that. He's a fantastic commentator as well. But Question of Sport back in the day, Coisty and John Parrott. And I think they even had Shane Warne on there as well. Warne? Oh, you, you don't get that level now. I mean, Tuffers does a great job. Matt Dawson does a great job. It's a good show. And I mean, it's gone on longer than a lot of people thought. Yeah, I can't believe it's still on. Every time it, I see yeah. it on the on the schedule, the TV schedule, in yeah. the Radio Times. I don't read the Radio Times. But whenever <laughs> I see it on the Sky Planet, I'm thinking, is that is that a rerun? But no, well, there it is. Well, no, but it's just fantastic. The the Everyone thought, our oh, League of Their Own's going to come in and, and take it away. And League of Their Own's not really a quiz show, and I think that's why Question of Sports lasted. But Coisty back in the day, mate. Oh, 
Him and, um, him and John Champion. If you turn on any football match these days, and they, they do a lot of Amazon Prime games, don't yeah, they? Yeah. If you turn on any football match and Koisty and Champion are on the uh, the comms and the co-coms, then you are in for an absolutely superb evening. Because it doesn't matter if it's the worst game ever. Koisty will make you feel as though it's the greatest game ever. Because he just loves football so much. And he just wants everybody else to have a great time whilst they're watching football. Also, uh, obviously, for the probably many Celtic fans might be listening to this. Um, I do remember that I think it was the big touchline uh, melee, I think we'll call it, between him and Neil Lennon, which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Just just two fellas just going at each other. Rotten. All sorts of words. Probably no one's and, and this no one's understood what's going on there. There's all sorts of local local slang being thrown around there, isn't yeah. it? And it, it was just it was superb. Yeah. Oh, atmosphere, I miss it. And one I want people fighting on touchlines. That's yeah, that's it. You can't really in a socially distanced world, you can't have managers no, scrapping on the touchline. Disappointing. No one's headbutted David Mailer since oh, it's just no Wenger and Mourinho pushing each other and that oh. sort of thing. That's what we need to see. The people in football say we don't like to see it, but everybody knows that we do love to see it. Oh yeah. I'm gonna do a tweet, just inject it. Inject yeah. it. Forget the vaccine. <laughs> just inject that into me. In- inject managerial rutting into me. Oh, and then get the press conferences afterwards. Oh, like, oh. Passive aggressive. Passive aggressive. Oh, so good. Ryan, who's your favourite Scottish person from the world of football? It's an obvious one, Mickey Mellon, mate. Oh, it's the elephant I, in the room, isn't it? I just couldn't not pick him. Just give me some of the happiest days of my life. And just a, what a man. Just want to hug him. Yeah. Do you miss him? Yeah. Yeah, well, of course. But I'm not sad he's gone. I'm glad it happened, that sort of ad. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> that's so sweet. He's now having me with his salt and pepper. So. I, miss Mi- I miss Mickey every single day. Do you know what it? Do you know what it is? What the, the biggest thing with Mickey was, was that you just, you just, you just felt like every time, every time you saw him in his, in his, in his, it was even better when we were in the national league and had the big blue Joma jackets on, and um, <laughs> he just felt like he, 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 he would just, he just give, he'd give Birkenhead a big hug all the time when we need, when we were down, and we needed a big hug. Mickey was there. And it's uh, yeah, I'm I'm a bit sad now, but yeah, it, glad it happened, eh, Rye? Glad it happened. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, do you Where remember? Do you want to tell the listeners about when you knocked a drink all over him? Have I not told this before? Possibly, but it's always worth repeating. Oh, put it to the back of my mind. Yeah, so obviously we've been promoted. We're there having a good little boogie, aren't we? Or the flight? Was this the first or the second? Second, time second. It was oh, well, in the, yeah, it was downstairs. Yeah, so we just got promoted at a League Two. We've made our way back from Wembley to Birkenhead. And for those who don't know Birkenhead that well, which I presume is a lot of you, there's a club called The Beach. And 12 months before, when we got promoted, we all went to the beach for a drink. And so did the players and the staff. And it was just the most Hard bizarre it. eight hours. It was just, yeah, it was just unbelievable. And um, the second year we're there, we see Mickey Mellon in the corner. And I'm hammered at that. I'm not someone who goes up and speaks to people like that. I don't have it in me. But I was about 19 hours into drinking, I think, at this stage. So walk over to him, go to shake his hand, <laughs> hit his drink, falls in his lap. 
he's drenched and I'm just there with my hand out looking at him and he was fuming as well. I actually <laughs> think I actually think I heard him after that on the phone to his agent saying get me to Dundee <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that had happened but you know what the worst part was I was like oh, I'll go get you another drink like that was the issue and um, he was not a towel not a towel don't, don't dry him up I don't know what he was drinking I, feel, I don't know if they brought like like cans in with them or something because I, I swear he was drinking like a craft ale and I came back with like the thing was was that his table was like because the year before he was sat so in the aforementioned beach there's two parts of it so there's a beach which is upstairs and then the cool rooms which is downstairs i mean people who aren't from birkenhead are absolutely gagging for this behavior and um it, it, Mickey in the first year was sat in like a booth, wasn't he? And there were just, it was like a mafia don. There were just people bringing him like shots of Jägermeister and stuff. <laughs> His table was just covered in drinks. And he was just sitting there with people just come up to him and go, I love you so much, Mickey. And then just giving him a drink. No, but I would say as well, considering like I had just really swilled him. And you could tell he was deep down fuming. He was so like he just like swallowed the, the anger and just went, "No worry about it, mate." I think I ended up getting a photo with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing! So if you're listening, Mickey, or any Dundee United fans, we love Mickey. Treat him well, please. Yeah, or sack him, and we'll have him back. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry Keith. Um, I went for a bit of a left field choice because I actually wrote down at the top. Mickey Mellon, Ali McCoist, because I thought we can't not mention Mickey and Coist is just beautiful. Um, funny. But the two, but I thought one of you two will mention probably those two, and you both did. But I went for a little bit of a left field choice, and it's two people, and it was it was purely down to one incident that I remember, and I had to Google it again to remember that it actually happened. It was Barry Ferguson and Alan McGregor. Oh God! You remember when they were fighting for Scotland and they were sat yeah. on the bench and they were doing the pretend. I'm doing it on camera, but you obviously can't see. It. They were doing like the <laughs> we're not putting two fingers up to the camera, but we are. They were two grown men playing for an international football team on the television, doing that thing that you used to do in in school, where you'd be like, "Nah, I'm not really giving him the, the wanker sign. I'm just itching me chin." Do you know what I mean? Like it was just like so petty and childish it was unreal and <laughs> they got banned from playing for scotland for that do you want oh, to know a, a further petty thing that barry ferguson did um i think when birmingham won the won the league cup which was a bit weird um they scored jack Wilshire's kind of on his knees and he runs up barry ferguson and just pushes his head down and then runs <laughs> off and celebrates and that's all you can see in the background and i remember thinking what it's unnecessary, isn't it? It's fuming. The wee Jackie. Wee uh, Jackie Wilshire. No wonder he's in the championship now. Just never uh, recovered from that moment. He thought I've conquered Barcelona and now Barry Ferguson's mugging me off. <laughs> Birmingham City's Barry Ferguson is mugging me off. Crikey. Oh, terrible. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get on with today's episodes. Joined by Ali Buchanan, referee Ali Buchanan today. And and First port call then is, why did we want to speak to Isla? Why did we want to get her on the show? Isla's quite um, quite an interesting interesting character. And, and the reason we wanted to speak to her, we'd, we'd seen quite a lot of it on Twitter, hadn't we? We'd, we'd seen quite a few videos that she'd done with the, the Scottish FA. And it was a, a story that kind of um, kind of resonated with us. Um, it was 
a different aspect of it as well from a from a different point of view obviously uh, a female point of view of how to deal with your mental health and it was um it was that really it was kind of like a, it would be a nice uh, contrast to to what people go through what other other genders go through as well so it was fantastic um she was fantastic i think it, it's going to come across in the interview she was just lovely to talk to i remember going through it was a pretty bad day that day i wasn't really happy and it, it actually genuinely cheered me up speaking um to her and doing the interview so it was um it was a friday was really evening fun. wasn't it it was me and you on yeah, a friday yeah. evening it was lovely it was a really nice yeah. evening um it's 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 i think the other thing as well is that's worth noting is is Alice, I, I suspect Alice is the youngest person that we've interviewed on the podcast, yeah. um, which you probably wouldn't know other than the, the fact that, that she talks about her age in, in it because it's relevant to to the story and, and, and what's going on in her life. But for someone so young to be able to talk so well about stuff that had gone on in her childhood and in her teenage years and stuff was, was incredibly impressive. We always have a theme. Ryan, do you want to give the listeners this week's theme? Yeah, so this week's theme is finding the confidence and the courage to speak out. Fantastic. That's our theme. If you pick up on any other themes during this episode and, and want us to discuss them and want to send them over to us, you can find us on Twitter at marking underscore man, or you can email them over to us at manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. So we're now going to leave you with Isla's interview and we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Man Marking. This podcast is about uh, mental health and, and, and football and mental health. Could you give us an idea as to why you agreed to do an interview for us, Isla? Um, you know, since the video of Football Save My Life kind of came out, um, I wasn't really open to speaking about my mental health and it was quite a challenge for me at times. And now that I've found the confidence and the courage to speak out about it, that, you know, coming on a podcast, you know, like this is great as well as a female um coming on that is brilliant for me to to share my experience and to you know try and encourage all platforms i'll try and encourage anybody to to speak out or get help if, if needed i'm all all for every opportunity i get to to share my experience so i really do appreciate you guys for asking me to come on and i think i've listened to podcasts and um, your podcast before and you know i think what you're doing is brilliant if football was to disappear completely tomorrow which in a way we've kind of had a bit of a drive on with recently yeah what would you miss most about it i've just got like i just thought about it when i read these questions i thought everything from sitting watching with my family to going to the games every single thing about it from getting pelters whilst i'm standing in the middle of a football pitch to you know coaching and everything like I have said to my family quite a lot since we entered this sort of period and of lockdown um I feel like my right hand had been cut off just because football is such a big part like there's not a week that goes by that I don't watch a game or I'm refereeing a game so I would it would be be a disaster I would miss everything about it yeah I think it's it's those sort of social sides and, and that sort of thing that you get from sport that I think is the the biggest thing that people are missing isn't it hundred percent it's like you, the biggest thing on a Saturday is you know you, you meet your pals and you, you grab a drink and you, you you go to your local pub and you know they've got a big projector on and you sit and watch the football together and it's a great atmosphere and I think a lot of people 
you know, will be missing that. And for them, such a social aspect can help mental health in so many different different ways. Um, so yeah, I think you know, I have I have struggled with it. Um, but yeah, I'm waiting and ready to go for it coming back whenever that may be mm-hmm. when I get back to refereeing. But I'm looking forward to it sooner rather than later. Sooner rather than later. Yes, hundred percent. Um, so to kind of move away from from football and to to touch on the 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 story that 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 kind of brought you to, to sort of a lot of people's attention, which was in the uh, football save my life campaign, which was done through um, the Scottish FA. Um, the story that you told around about your mum and and the stroke that she had. So first of all, could you kind of talk us through what that part of your life was like? Uh, so yeah, I was twelve. I'm one of six kids, so I've got I've got one older sister, and then the rest are all younger. Um, I remember getting a a message from my dad saying, um, "Pick up the wee kids, the younger ones from the school." Um, just across the road, they were at the primary school. Um, I was at secondary school with my older sister. You know, we had to pick them up and go to our grandparents after school. So we were like, oh, brilliant. We'll have mince and tights for tea with granny and granddad. Brilliant. This is great. Um, little did we know when we got there, um, it was all, my, my grandparents were quite upset. We didn't really know what was going on. It wasn't the usual atmosphere. Um, and then we ended up staying the night. Um, my dad had come up um, later the next day. Um, we just stayed the night, didn't go to school the next day. And my dad came down and he said, your mum's had a stroke. And I was 12. I had not a clue what really a stroke was. I didn't really know what the outcome was. And then he got to the point where she couldn't speak. And that was like, I'm not going to be able to say, you know, my mum won't be able to say hi to me again. That's going to be that point. It, it did really hit. And it was really really tough and then you know the next few years were were really really tough in, in that sense but at that point and I remember like it happened yesterday my dad saying oh your mum's had a stroke that was I remember the first time I got to see her after I had the stroke which was a few weeks after um and she couldn't speak and she was having to write everything down but you know her muscles had kind of all been wasted a bit from the stroke that she couldn't grip a pencil right so it was so difficult to understand what she was trying to say to us and it was heartbreaking for me as a 12 year old to to see your mum like that when you remember you know fit and healthy before and never having any sort of sort of injuries or illnesses across her whole life really do you think almost because you were so young that at that time being able to understand what a stroke is and what the implications of it are well, that must have been quite frightening at the time, must have been really quite traumatic. Yeah, I was definitely petrified. I remember I didn't let go of my dad's hand the whole way, you know, walking to the hospital and in the hospital and I just sat and just looked at my mum. I didn't really know what to say, what to do. Um, you know, I just had to try and keep a, a brave face for, for my mum because I didn't want to see, you know, show her that I was upset. Um, but it was it was really frightening in a way from remembering your mum saying having a laugh and a joke with you and you know being a mum um before I had a stroke and then suddenly everything kind of comes crashing down in a way it was it was really challenging and in terms of for, for people who were who were listening who maybe don't know that much about strokes I know that they're the type of thing that people kind of know of um 
but I suspect for most people they probably don't really understand exactly what they are and and the consequences that they can have on people's lives sort of following them for people who are listening could you kind of just explain what those sort of things are yeah so we were pretty lucky my mum was in the hospital at the time of her stroke um, as she had pneumonia beforehand which led to a blood clot in her brain um, from her pneumonia which then caused her to have the stroke so it damaged all her down her um, right hand side so um, her face kind of drooped a bit she lost her speech couldn't lift up any of her right hat right side at all um it all kind of just basically wasted away for a while um there was months of speech therapy and physiotherapy to try and regain the muscles um and you know it was there's there are still you know lasting effects um from her stroke she'll have days where she's really tired and her speech will sort of slur a bit um and she gets this horrible sensation in her face as she describes it like hot crawling ants all over her face just from the nerve damage that it, the stroke caused so it still has its you know lasting effects it wasn't just a you know oh she'll recover she'll get better she'll be fine but we were extremely lucky that she was in the hospital at the time of the stroke otherwise we did get told from the doctor she might not be with us today so hearing that as a 12 year old was quite quite tough but I'm still very lucky to to have her so yeah we're we're doing well and you said that you were you're one of six children. So, are you are you one of the younger ones, one of the older ones? So I'm second oldest. I've got an older sister, um, and then the rest are all younger. We're super close together. The youngest, um, the age between the youngest and the oldest is only seven years. Um, so the younger sort of four siblings, my two younger brothers and two younger sisters, didn't really understand at all what was going on. Uh, they just carried on playing with their toys and and stuff when my dad and came to tell us and only me and my older sister um were only 10 months apart me and cara were super close and she we both went to go see our parent or well, our mum um in the hospital um the kids were just too young to you know my dad didn't want them to see my mum and she didn't want them to see who she was at the time um so yeah it was it, it was crazy having so many brothers and sisters. It still is, to say the least. Uh, but there's never a dull moment in the house to 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 say it. You know, there's always somebody, something going on. <laughs> I've only got one brother, and he's he's more than enough to be paid for. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's brilliant. I love having them, but sometimes I wish I could oh, <laughs> strangle them all. But yeah. Do you think then that that, that experience? change the dynamic between your, your you and your siblings in terms of brought you closer yeah it definitely did like after um you know my dad was still having to work he got time off work and um, when my mum was in hospital but you know things did have to go back to some normality and you know having so many brothers and sisters it was a challenge um you know trying to get everything done whilst my dad was at work and you know make sure we kept on top of things you know I was doing things that 12 years old that you know people nowadays or young kids 12 year olds nowadays will never do until they're you know 16 17 i was cooking cleaning ironing you know taking the kids to school we would walk them up in the morning um and that would make me late for late for school but it did bring us closer together and even now you know i am um, 
visited my parents the other day, they're my brothers and sisters, and, you know, just sitting chatting to them, and, you know, do miss them during this time, but um, it definitely changed the dynamic in the house, everybody kind of mucked in and got things done, even though the kids were young, they would still do wee bits to to try and help out, um, which was, was good, but yeah, definitely brought the whole family closer together, which obviously I wish my mum didn't have the stroke, but in a way it was, it was nice bringing us all closer together. And what was your relationship like with your mum at that time? I mean, 12-year-old and, and and it sounds like you got a really tight-knit family, but in terms of your specific relationship with your mum, what was it like? You know, we were super close. Um, I always, you know, went to my mum for everything. Um, we'd always, you know, be sitting on the couch cuddling and, you know, giving her hugs and whenever I could. Um, you know, it was, mum's always been there when we, from the moment we get up, to the moment we come back from school, she was, you know, constantly there in the house for us. Um, and we were so, you know, we still are really close, but at that point it was, you know, I felt like I'd lost a huge part of my life at that point because I didn't really, I couldn't just, you know, go into the room and sit and chat with her because she was in hospital for so long or, you know, things really did did change with that. Um, so yeah, it was my, you know, me and my mum were, were were super close at that time, still are, which was which is nice. And you mentioned there that the next sort of the sort of following years on from that incident that were challenging in terms of the way that it changed the dynamics within your household. Those that that time kind of I think led on to the the kind of feelings of anxiety and and, and depression and stuff that you sort of later experienced. How did they kind of manifest themselves? Yeah, so the first two years, so from being 12 and then to 14, um, I just kind of got on with things, didn't really think about how I was feeling. I just, you know, pushed on and got things done that needed to be done and to help out the family and, and whatever. And then I remember it like it happened yesterday. I was sitting on the stairs, you know, still in my pyjamas, wasn't getting dressed for school and, I had a screaming match with my dad because I didn't want to go to school, but I didn't know why I didn't want to go to school. And, you know, he's like, no, you're going. I says, no, I'm not. You know, and it went on for a bit. And then it was kind of realised that maybe something else was kind of wrong. So um that point I got taken to the doctors and my dad just sat and told, all the, told the doctor everything that had been going on. And I never said a word. I just kind of a few tears and just kept quiet and, at that point, when the doctor said, oh, you have anxiety and depression, that's what we're diagnosing you with and, you know, we'll give you counselling and stuff. That was a bit like, you know, what, what is that? And I never really understood really what exactly anxiety and depression was. I never really understood why I felt the way I was. Um, and then sort of time went on and, you know, I was really struggling. I was having counselling um, at least once a week. Um, sometimes twice a week with um, I was a young carer at the time as well so I was having one through the NHS and then um, a counselling session through young carers as well and I had a lot of support but you know it was still challenging I was going for those counselling sessions and speaking about how you're feeling makes you feel exhausted um, mm -hmm. so I would have like went to kind of stop going to school for quite a bit I really did struggle with school because I was so exhausted and tired from taking on those caring duties that it was it was a real struggle to find the energy to sit and listen in, in school. And 
also sort of lost a lot of friends because I would sit sometimes at, at lunch or break and I didn't, you know, I was feeling really low and anxious and, you know, just kept myself to myself. So, like, you know, it kind of broke down the relationship a bit um, with my friends and that was another thing to add to my anxiety, depression. I was going to school thinking, oh, you know, there's always that fear of who I'm going to be with or who I'm going to sit with at lunch or break. So it was, it was a real struggle, but, um, you know, as time went on and I got a bit older, 15, 16, I, I started to understand and, you know, understood where, you know, why I was feeling the way I was. And I think I struggled because I couldn't speak to my mum about how I was feeling because she felt it was her fault that she had, you know, that I was ill because she had a stroke. Um, my dad was already taking care of my mum and all six of us. And the same with my grandparents. It was, you know, there wasn't, I felt quite trapped. I felt like I couldn't really speak to anybody, um, which was totally daft, you know. Um, I would have, looking back, like, they were all there, very supportive. Um, but being diagnosed with anxiety and depression and sitting for hours on end with counselling, counsellors and it was like, why am I, why am I doing this? It was just not, you know, I was given worksheets and I'm like, why am I sitting doing this worksheet? You know, it didn't make me feel any better at the time. I was always exhausted after speaking about it, but it, you know, over the course of the two years I had counselling until I was 16, I, it definitely, definitely helped. We spoke on one of our, um, on one of our episodes about whether or not having a diagnosis or, or that type of thing is beneficial to, to people and, and and kind of it, it, the 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 conclusion that we kind of came to uh, just sort of briefly was obviously it's it's different for different people really and and it will help depending on what type of scenario you're in. Did you feel as though at the time? Obviously, you're very young, so getting an understanding of it is quite important because it, I'd imagine without knowing what it is, the, but you would be aware of the way that you were feeling in terms of internally processing it did you find that having that diagnosis and having that this is a thing that's a thing if you know what I mean that you're able to kind of conceptualize did that help I mean like at the time when the doctor was like yeah okay I think you have anxiety depression and I didn't really understand what that was I just felt like I was labeled in a way um and that was quite challenging but uh, I think I haven't that diagnosis and understanding, learning to understand it more um, and having the counselling and to be more open and learning to open up about it. And, you know, I couldn't struggle to leave my mum and I couldn't be without my phone just in case something happened. And, you know, with anxiety and, you know, I never realised that at the time, but as I spoke about it with counsellors and, you know, learned to put coping mechanisms in place, I definitely think having that there um, that helped the process for me recovering in a way that the counsellors could help as well. You know, I wasn't just sitting there going through tests and worksheets to figure out what was really going on. Everybody kind of knew what, for me, just seeing how I feel and my parents seeing how I was feeling, they could sort of pick it up quite easily that it was anxiety, depression. So I think in that aspect, it did help quite, quite a bit. And you you spoke there about feeling as though you couldn't couldn't speak to anybody and and, and felt maybe a little bit trapped. One of the, the the big themes that we're obviously exploring in this podcast is about how difficult it is, particularly for 
for men to talk about that topic. From listening to the way that you're talking, Isla, and and forgive me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds very similar to the type of stuff that we've heard from young fellas who've been in similar situations. As a female who's gone through that type of, you know, that 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 type of thing, do you feel as though you were treated differently as as a young girl as you may have been if you were a young boy? Yeah, I do think there's an aspect of that. Um, I was, you know, seeing, you know, my younger brothers and stuff like that, and even my dad, um, he only just in the past year or so got counselling because he never admitted to himself that he was struggling because I think as a male, you have this sort of picture or this expectation to live up to that you don't have emotions Um and I think at times they don't quite get understood. Oh, you're just going through your teenage, you know, your boy typical teenage stage. You'll be okay. And you know, for me, I think I was. I mean, I was extremely lucky. I got fast tracked into counselling. You know, I only had two weeks um, to wait before my first counselling session. And you see the waiting list now, and they're like eighteen odd months. So I was extremely lucky. And I do think there is an aspect of me being a young female. Um, that it did speed up the process quite a bit for me. Um, but, you know, it, is, it was still difficult for me to come out and to open up and to speak about it. Um, but, yeah, like I said, there's definitely a, a image for the, these young guys to, to live up to, and it shouldn't that shouldn't be the case. That should not be the stereotypical way of a man to, to present himself. You know, we've all got feeling we're all human at the end of the day, whether you're male, female, whatever, um, you know, you've all got feelings and it's okay, like, you know, the hashtag, it's okay not to be okay. And it's, it is so true for, for everybody to understand that um, and to not worry about crying and, you know, break down those barriers a wee bit, um, you know, and share your feelings. You know, it's perfectly acceptable. But, you know, there is that time in that way of some people thinking, oh, you know, men are supposed to be hard and, you know, be the big tough one in the family. They can't cry or you know, feel this particular way. So I do think it does have that that sort of image for for the men. Um, and I, you know, as a as a young female at the time, I was quite um, lucky to be, you know, fast tracked into into counselling. You mentioned your your dad there. Did did that kind of change your relationship with your dad? How everything that happened? Um, it was quite challenging at times because you know he had so much on his plate. Um, you know, between working and and looking after my mum and all of us, you know, did have a lot and, you know, just trying to do everything I could to sort of help. But again, I didn't quite realise at the time because he wasn't sort of open about how he was feeling that that was quite a struggle at times because, you know, sometimes I didn't, I thought he was just okay when really looking back, he kind of wasn't. Um, and, it, you know, he's in that sort of old mindset of the, the you know, the men has to be tough and hard and to hold the family together and can't really show his feelings. And he's only come round to that in the past few years where, you know, that is okay, he can be like that. Um, you know, me and my dad are super close. We do, you know, talk about everything and do everything, um, you know, it's a typical father-daughter would, um, you know, talk about football, you'll come into you know, come to my football games when I'm refereeing and, you know, we have a laugh and joke constantly. But, you know, it, it was a time where there, I felt there was potentially a barrier between 
me and him through the you know the process of my mum recovering yeah absolutely and it's it, it must have been such a difficult experience for, for everyone involved and as you say for your dad with a lot on his plate and having to balance all those different things must have been really difficult we mentioned before about the football save my life campaign how did how did that come about um so i've always since i was sort of 15 going on 16 i'd kind of been involved um with football in the scottish fa and i was 15 years old and i was asked to the east region um awards night so i headed along to there and I was asked to to give a speech really and you know I remember sitting in my mum's bed while she was having a bit of an ill day and helping she was helping me write this speech and it was about how you know at that time I never really realised how much football did really help me but it was about you know I was stood up and said about how football had helped me and you know that my mum had a stroke so I have kind of spoke about it in the past but never really to the extent of the football saved my life. So um, I knew certain people at the Scottish FA knew exactly what I'd been doing, you know, and that the, the video that I, or the sort of speech that I did when I was 15, um, I knew they kind of knew my background a bit. Um, and I was a youth ambassador for the Scottish FA as well. So I knew quite a lot of the, of the guys and the people that work in, and there, and I was approached by uh, Paul McNeil, who's honestly cannot thank enough for for supporting me through all this. And he said, you know, obviously because his video was released um, prior to mine, and he said, you know, we know your kind of your story. How would you feel about doing this? And you know, I, I was all for it. I was a bit, oh, you know, I'm just <laughs> just a young girl. I can't really go and speak about that. But you know, I was very lucky to to go and to have that opportunity to. To share my stories and I, I said I remember I said to Paul I says I'm do it if it helps one person if I help one person from this video then I've done what I wanted to do from from this so yeah I never expected it to to be as kind of viral in a way of you know various things and different opportunities arising um so yeah it's been it's been brilliant yeah it was it was obviously that's how how we obviously came to to contacting you was was after after seeing your video and we we've been watching some of the, the other stuff that that's you know that's online and have you about about your story and um I think the way that you've kind of fronted it up and and, and spoke so well and so um articulately about your experience is incredibly impressive especially from from somebody who's 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 so young and I think to have gone through that at such a young age to be able to to compartmentalize that to understand it and then use it to kind of help other people is incredibly impressive and I think that's why people take such a you know put such a positive from from your story in particular um yeah you spoke there about about football having a you know being a positive thing in your life when you were going through a difficult time how how did that you know what what was it about football that, that gave you that that outlet it was an escape for me um you know I was down at my local football club possibly every night of the week if I could um and I was there for hours coaching playing and it was an escape for me I was with people that wanted to be there as well and we all had an interest in football and you know 
I made a lot of friends from that and it just football for me and it still is to this day such a powerful thing you know I stand in the middle of a pitch you know with a whistle and 22 guys standing around me and I forget about everything you know I might have had a bad night or a bad week but everything's forgotten about when I'm on that football pitch or I'm coaching or even when I'm just sitting watching a football game I'm so involved and focused just on the surroundings and what I'm doing that you know how I'm feeling doesn't really matter at that point it's just everything's gone out my head and makes me feel calm and relaxed and you know it's it's been I'm very lucky that I did find something that helped me because I think for a lot of people it could be it can be difficult you know that challenging part of getting out of bed in the morning can be so difficult and I still have days like that at the moment um where I feel sometimes getting out of bed just it can be challenging but for me football you know if I knew I had football on a Saturday morning or was refereeing or was coaching I would be absolutely buzzing I would be out my bed as early as I can and getting ready to go whereas you know some people don't have that sort of goal in their life and it can be challenging when you struggle with mental health to to overcome that at times so yeah even to this day football still does get me out of my bed in the morning and we we speak a lot on this podcast about how football is a really good vehicle for for spreading awareness about issues such as mental health and bringing people together why why do you think the football is so powerful people i just feel like you know it's a worldwide sport it's played everywhere you know from the poorest of countries to the you know first world countries and you know it's, it's everywhere constantly and I feel like you know people take part in sport because or football you know because it's a team game you know they're socializing and I think it's just such a perfect way and powerful way to to spread that message you know you see it everywhere constantly tv you know you, I've been watching the World Cup rewinds from before I was even born and it's just so satisfying it's unreal seeing you know how football's evolved and changed over the times and some of the outfits it's been brilliant I'll tell you the shorts but my dad's made me laugh I was sitting watching with my uncle and what a laugh it's been but you know it's even just it's so powerful to spread and share the message you look from something like the Football Save My Life campaign and how many people it's helped or, you know, and people that have come forward and, and said, okay, yeah, I'm, you know, struggling. I've had a lot of people approach me and say, you know, I have struggled and, you know, your video helped me to speak out. And for me, that's, you know, that's the one thing I wanted. And it is, like I said, it's just super powerful and, you know, it's worldwide. You know, social media is a powerful thing as well. You get out on social media, it's related to football. It, it can go far. Um when Mental Health Week last week, I was um, tweeted by the FIFA Women's World Cup, um, you know, and I was like a little girl in a sweet shop. I was like, oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so it was really exciting, you know, just the, the power of football and to, you know, for people all across the world now potentially to see my my video is, is quite surreal at times. Yeah, I can imagine. That must be really um, humbling for people to message you and, and say how much your videos help them. 100%. It's, it's like I said, you know, it's the one aim, one reason I said, yeah, to doing this, to doing the video is if I could help somebody. And, you know, it's, it's really, really heartwarming when somebody does feel they can build up the courage to to come to a stranger, you know, 
there could be, you know, I've had a few friends that have said that, you know, strangers have approached me and said, you know, wow, thank you so much for your, for sharing your video. It's really helped me speak out and get help and stuff like that. And, you know, I always come away from that conversation or, you know, that person and, you know, I've got the biggest smile on my face. I feel like I could run a marathon and not, you know, pass out or whatever. I could be skipping along the street constantly. And it's just, it's what I wanted to do. And, you know, the reason that I still speak out and, and go to do different events and stuff like that to try and help other people if I, if I possibly can. What was your, your family's reaction to the video? I remember so when I got asked, I was like, right, okay, yeah, I met with the production company, you know, brilliant, you know, really excited to get the ball going. Um, filmed it, brilliant, good day, good match. It was it was a successful day of filming. And then a wee while later, well, a few months later, I got the, the video and I was sitting in my car, you know, just away to go into a meeting and I was just sitting outside and I got the email and I looked at it, watched the video and I was like, just burst out the tears myself on my own in my car. I was just bursting the floods of tears, and it was quite mad to, you know, to see it all come together. And I sent it to my my mum, and uh, she called me um, after she'd seen it, and we both just cried together on the phone. Um, <laughs> and it was a very good response from my family, and you know, it was it was it was great. You know, I've been very supported through through the whole thing with my family, so I'm very lucky in that aspect. You're the only female referee in your region, aren't you? Yeah, within Perth and Canoss, yeah, no no other one. And I don't think there has been any other female referee within Perth and Canoss um, ever. So, yeah, it's been it's quite good. And just, like, just listening to you talk then, you, you know, you can see how, you can hear how much of it, like a strong character you are as well. And You've got to be kind of a strong character to be a referee. I, I've, I've played the game of football. They take some heat. Yes, yeah, we do indeed. Yeah, thick skin. <laughs> but at the age of, of 16, you start refereeing adult games. Talk us through yeah. that, that moment where someone's gone, do you want to referee this one on, on the weekend? What are you feeling then? It was it was my granddad. So it's originally how I became a referee. He was coming up to my 16th birthday and you obviously have to be 16 to qualify. So, you know, I was still at school at the time and my granny was like, oh, why not? You know, he was a referee. He was like, why not get into refereeing? It's a good way to make some money, you know, still be involved in the game. So I was like, oh, you know, we'll give it a bash. Did the course, passed it. And within six months of passing the course, I stood in the middle of a 22 grown men, some of them old enough to possibly to be my granddad at times. Uh, at the age of 16 was the most daunting experience ever. It was actually him as he's on the amateur um, committee within Perth and Kinross. He was somehow managed to get me roped into into ref refereeing the, the men's game. And from that moment, I absolutely loved it and still do it and didn't really stop refereeing the men's game. What was it like that first game? Tough? Oh, it was pet I was petrified. I remember one of the guys um, swore at me and uh, I turned around and looked at him 30 seconds after he said that. Oh, sorry, ref, I didn't mean to swear at you because I was a female. Honestly, I think I still laugh about that to this day. And that doesn't happen as much anymore as the, the guys I've got used to me. So are they, are they swearing more at you now that they used to? Or? <laughs> yeah, neither they're used to me. And, you know, I have a laugh with the guys on the pitch, but now they're a bit used to me. That does It does come and go a wee bit. I mean, they don't get away with it. Don't 
don't you know don't let that happen but uh, yeah it can be it's funny how things have changed you know from that guy who's never had a female referee before in his game and the response is is still funny um whenever I go you know elsewhere across Scotland or or to a game and I you know I'm either running the line or I'm in the middle and seeing their reaction like just I had one game just at the tail end of last year where I was in Dundee um for an off the tee and both teams stopped warming up to just stand and look at me as I came onto the pitch being like is that the female ref- is, have we got a female referee and it's it still happens every so often it's it is brilliant but it's, that first game was very very daunting but you know thick skin you know it was it was brilliant loved it <laughs> It does. Uh, it does sound pretty good. When when we were looking up at the research for, for this, I, I came across something where someone had said, um, compared to the to the males who do the refereeing, you don't get a half as much of abuse. And I was kind of thinking it was also like linked to it to a bit where you said, you know, I'm a strong character, I don't take any mess, and um, and I, I couldn't help think that's probably why <laughs> someone's actually telling him off. <laughs> exactly. Like I. I have, you know, I don't get nearly as much abuse because I'm a female. I do get respect a bit more, but like you say, like, I don't let things slip. Um, you know, I've got cards for a reason. I don't like the paperwork that comes with it, but I've got cards for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a couple of years, years back, you were selected to referee in Abu Dhabi and Oman. Um, talk, about, talk about how that came about, what that was like. So, yeah, I mean, I was... What, a year and a bit qualified. I was still 17. Um, and so it was in 2018 I got asked to go and hoofed. I was like, I remember standing in the garden after the phone call, jumping up and down, so excited. Um the experience was like one a lifetime um opportunity. I mean, 17 going away from the parents um for the first time. So I got dropped off at the airport at half four in the morning. My um, mum and my granddad came with me and I was meeting 15 strangers for the first time. I'd never met any of them before um, prior to flying. So I was, you know, meeting everybody at the airport at half four in the morning. You know, possibly the worst, worst experience of my life at that point. I was so nervous. I was sweating buckets. I was, oh, I didn't, didn't know what to do, um, but it was by far the best Um you know, and I learned a lot from being over there with ex- more experienced um, referees. I did really learn a lot. And um, to be in a different country I've never been before as well was, was you know, exciting, you know, amazing at the same time. I was actually very lucky uh, just to be asked to go back again. So I was there out in Oman in uh, January just this year. Um, so I was lucky I was got a holiday before before this whole craziness um so yeah it was the exact same um being a young female referee and you know now with a bit more experience to go out and to to show the two guys that that come with us um you know how much I've developed and changed was was a great opportunity and to see football in a different country as well was, was really exciting so I was I was extremely lucky and it just shows you put the work and the effort in within refereeing opportunities are endless Absolutely, and it's the one thing the game needs as well, isn't it? Referees, so you know, exactly. I mean, never going to be in short supply of getting the gig. Exactly, that's the thing. And we, you know, we are we do struggle at times within ref for referees, and you know, like you say, you've got to have thick skin to be able to do it. And some people, you know, 
do the course, do a few games and then realise it's not for them, which is totally fair. You know, it is. it can be challenging at times, but it is just the opportunities are endless. And if you stick at it, you know, keep going, push through and it's, you know, you never know where it might take you. Um, but yeah, we, we do, we are lucky. You always get a gig, which is, which is good. <laughs> uh, have you got any aims at all when you, for your refereeing? You know, anything you want to do in the future? Yeah, so um, I passed my advanced referees exam um, roughly about this time, um, sort of last year. So once you do your advanced referees exam, you can start progressing up the ladder. Um, but that time I'd badly damaged um, my knee, as in I'm sh- up in Scotland, especially up north, we don't, we're not uh, as luxury, uh, we don't have the luxury Astro Tough pitches and we're playing on a, a pitch that, Highland Games have played on. So you can imagine the divots and the potholes that are in that pitch. And uh, Especially I, if, you're, uh, if you're tripping over them big logs that they throw as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I, <laughs> there was a big divot and I badly um, injured my knee. was close to having surgery, but I um, was thankful that, you know, I, I didn't need to, it wasn't to the extent of that, but um, I had to take eight months out refereeing. So that pushed me back quite a bit. But, you know, I've, really got my fitness up that was one good thing with lockdown I've been out and runs and really pushing myself and hopefully when we get back to refereeing I can really push myself in the next season because I mean you look at Kylie um, Cockburn and that who's you know all over the place all over the world with FIFA and that is my ultimate ultimate aim within refereeing is to, to get to FIFA That's a great aim to be fair I think it's every an aim that that most lads have when they when you know we want to play football. I don't think any of them ever go. Ah, oh, do you know what? I'll, I'll stop playing and and go to uh, yeah. go to refereeing. But um, no, that's that's a really good aim. Um, yeah. You were awarded with a, a grassroots football award as well, weren't you? Yeah, that was uh, I think 2016, 2017, if I remember correctly. Um, that was for my coaching. Um, that I'd been doing because I was so heavily involved within within the East Region and the Scottish FA and I was doing a lot of disability football and stuff as well trying to p- provide an opportunity to give people you know that don't often have that first chance of getting involved within football um, so I was very lucky to to be awarded awarded that. What was that like you know the, the coaching disability football and and going through through that? so unbelievably rewarding um challenging at times as well but um you know each of the kids is so different and got their own individual path and sometimes you know we had to adapt the session for each individual one you know it was quite time consuming but I when I got into football when I was 10 that very first training night I got given my kit to play that that following weekend and these kids or you know, young adults don't have that opportunity opportunity to to do so. So me giving up some of my time, and because I was so heavily involved in football, it was another escape for me to, to get out the house and away and focus on something I love doing. And you know, just sharing my experience within football and getting into coaching and seeing them smile. And I still volunteer within within disability uh, sport to to this day. Um, you know, so just to give them an oppor- opportunity to to have what you know you and I could just go do it the weekends with no no problem at all. So just to give them a, an hour or so a week to provide, you know, and what I was all for it. And you spoke before about how, you know, 
just you know the fact that you've had a, a challenge in life you know you wouldn't change anything and it's kind of made you who you are often that's that's kind of the case for a lot of people you know we are what we've experienced um do you think it's important that we that we face these challenges head on when we get them and and overcome them it, it seems like they've given you such a good ground in to be able to go and and share your experiences and, and your, your, you know, teach these these other people and and even in your own, you know, profession going into to refereeing as well. Yeah, and I mean, like definitely, like I think, you know, everybody when a big, you know, challenge comes in life, like I felt like I could, I wish I could run a mile from from the whole situation. You know, obviously, I wish my mum didn't have the stroke, um, but. I wanted to run away as far as I could, but I knew that wasn't going to help anything. And at that time, it is difficult to sort of face that head on, but um, I definitely, you know, think it's the best thing to do in life is to just take them head on and you learn whilst you're going along how things work, what might work, what won't work. And, you know, each person's, in, you know, got their own individual way of, of dealing with things. But I do, you know, would highly recommend just taking it each day as it comes and I still do at times, you know, to this day, I just take, if I'm struggling a bit, I just take each day as it comes. And if I get up in the morning and, I, you know, I've made my breakfast, you know, brilliant, we're on a good, you know, we're on a good step. And if I go to bed at night, you know, accomplished a bit more, then I've overcome a lot within that day if I'm feeling really rubbish, you know. So it's, it's just about taking baby steps at times and not trying to charge in at 100 miles an hour, um, which is, you know, which can be tough at times. You just want rid of it or it to all be back to some normality, but it doesn't always happen like that. So it's just about taking baby steps and doing what's best for you in that, that situation. Anxiety will be there, but just work out how long it's going to take. You know, can I still go to shops? Can I still work with it? So I think that's a really important thing. I think if we kind of battle against it, it gets a bit muddier and it gets a bit stickier and, and, and we can run into a few issues. 100%, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm just going back to, to some counselling at the moment, um, just because I, I don't feel I'd struggled a bit, um, so back in November, just past there, I was put back on some um, medication, so I'm on the antidepressants at the moment, which, you know, hopefully I'll come off soon, but um, I did struggle quite a bit to get out of bed, so I've gone back to therapy through the amazing charity back on side, which, you know, very lucky for their support. Um, to help me through the, these challenging times and it's you know speaking about it and having therapy and you know it is you know we're doing things where I'm like you know I used to struggle so much with that and reflecting on my past and you know giving some new things I did a, a worksheet that she'd sent me the other day there and I was able to identify my, myself just by talking to her I was able to realize things that make me feel better and what doesn't and how I can do that and that's what she was saying as well it's just about baby steps is just taking too much on at one time can just be the worst worst situation um it's just about taking baby steps if you can get out of your bed in the morning brilliant you know be proud of yourself for that if you can go make your breakfast and you know get dressed then you know you're on to a winner but it's just about reminding yourself that because it can be challenging when you're at your lowest to get out of your bed in the morning you think oh, this day's going to be rubbish, you know, I'm not going to do anything. It, is, it can be challenging, but baby steps is by far the best way to go. And I still take baby steps to this day if I'm feeling a bit rubbish. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned before that football's been your escape for over, out the years. And obviously, we don't have a lot of it at the moment. We're not certainly not doing any matches um, at grassroots level and professionals only just coming back. So, how are you trying to deal with that? I, I can't imagine you running down the road with, with your whistle out and blowing at people <laughs> or anything like that. But well, I tell you, it's <laughs> coming to good use, the whistle. Um, on the Thursday night claps, I've been standing outside blowing my whistle. It's been brilliant. So thanks, uh, thankful for, for that. But um, I mean, yeah, it was, was a bit challenged, but um, my young cousin, he's quite into football. So we would sit and chat about it or like sitting watching the, the football with um, my uncle at the weekend. So I've overcome it with that, but I'm very um, thankful for the German League to come back on and and to get that going again, which has been great, um, and looking forward to the Premier League coming back on. But that'll be the sort of things that I'll just keep doing, you know, keep my fitness up and, you know, kicking a ball about um, with my cousin and stuff like that. It's, it does help quite quite brilliantly, which is good. Excellent. Um, um, I just want to ask you, so if you were able to talk to your younger self when you were at your lowest ebb, what would you tell yourself? Reflecting back, I would definitely say to my younger self to to speak out and not to worry and you know not to panic and that's you know easier said than done but you know life I don't you know I did almost lose my mum so you know life is can be quite short and for some people it's just to take every step as it comes and to enjoy everything that you do and you know just to to be open and honest and not to try and hide your feelings from people and you know especially for for young men that that do feel they have to be the tough role model that you know it's okay to be upset or to struggle at times like it is totally normal and yeah I would definitely just be more open about how I was feeling um yeah that would be definitely the, the main thing that I would tell my younger self and uh finally and probably most importantly how is your mum doing right now uh, she's doing well. She she um, has an IC, uh, ICU in her chest, so that just keeps like a sort of like a pacemaker, just keeps her heart going. Um, so she had to get that replaced <laughs> just on Monday there. Nine Wells and Dundee took her in uh, to get that replaced. So she's got some lovely scars and a bit of pain at the moment, but she's she's doing really well. Um, super proud of her. Just back in August there, um, she got her first job that she's had since she, I think she was. 22 since she had her first proper job so she's just uh um just working in a nursery and absolutely love it I mean what better person to put in a nursery she's had six kids you know <laughs> well trained in that industry so uh, yeah I'm super proud of her to see her overcome all the challenges and, and struggles that she's faced to actually get back to work is you know I'm super proud of her um and she's looking forward to getting back when this is this is all over went back into to having therapy and, and had come back onto your, onto your medication and what have you. Do you kind of see the process of dealing with your mental health as kind of a, something that you're going to, that's going to be, that's a part of you for, forever almost. And it's just about maintaining, keeping on top of it almost. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I've always said, you know, especially the past year or so, I think it's just something that I just have to learn to cope with. And sometimes for people that do struggle with mental health, they want totally rid of it, but it's not as simple as, you know, you get counselling or you're on medication, you go to bed at night, you wake up and that's it completely gone. You know, I still 
do worry about my mum one day, you know, when she was in surgery. I know she would be totally fine. She was just getting, you know, uh, something replaced. But I was still worrying about her in case something went wrong. Um, but it is something that I do feel I just have to learn and to deal with and cope with. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well and, you know, hoping that I'll be able to come off the medication and, you know, I've got coping strategies that, that do help me. But, yeah, I do think that it's something that I just just have to cope with, but in a good way, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, back. I've still got Ryan. I've still got Ant. That was a, I think, I think moving is probably the correct way to use for, for Isla's story there. I certainly found it very moving when we were listening to it. The, the sort of, I think, for somebody so young, almost pushed into to adulthood, uh, maybe a, a, an earlier age than, than she was expecting. And I think possibly that maybe delayed her ability to be able to talk about some of her, her sort of anxieties and, and other mental health things that she was she was going through. I don't know if you, either of you two had any specific thoughts. I know, and you were obviously on the interview with us uh, on, that, on that, that fateful Friday evening, and you said it, it kind of cheered you up after a, a difficult day. It did, yeah, yeah, because she's just a, a really got a really positive outlook, uh, and obviously, you know, it's not all like that all the time, but she just had a really positive outlook on on the way things had happened and 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 what she gained from it and and the like. So, uh, yeah, it, it it did cheer me up. I thought it's just a really, <laughs> really uh, well-rounded individual. Uh, I think we've spoken to quite a lot of them, um, and it was it was fantastic to to hear how she dealt with things as well, you know, that young, um, and how open and honest he was about about everything that was going on. Um, I think I'll try and put the video up on, on, on Twitter uh, that she did with the Scottish FA. And it, it really is just, just great to see, you know, it, it's such a, a traumatic experience and she's managed to turn it into into. What, what is a positive and grown from it and, and it just shows that you know you can you can learn from everything as well so I thought, thought it was brilliant to be honest yeah. I, I think she's she's a, a wonderful uh, wonderful young girl who's who's, who's going places and, and clearly enjoys the, the the stuff that she does yeah and I think combined with I think a the sort the, the the kind of things that she's gone through at such a young age and, and the way she's able to to talk about them and explain them now is very impressive. But equally, the the you know we're doing the refereeing and stuff for somebody again, somebody so young. We I mean we obviously had Bobby Madley on a, a, a few weeks back, and we had the, the sort of took him ten years or so, wasn't it, to get into to the top level of, of refereeing? And you know, it looks like she's going a similar sort of way. And and all the difficulties that being a woman in professional football can bring, I'm sure she'll tackle them with the same kind of maturity and and, and vigor that she has with. With, with all of the stuff that's gone on before. One thing that I thought was interesting that she spoke about was how you need to, I think for people who are thinking about talking about their mental health or thinking about talking about any issues that they may have, something that she said I thought was really, really interesting. I don't think anyone has mentioned it before in all of these episodes that we've done. I mean, we're like 60-odd episodes in. I don't remember somebody mentioned it before. They may well have done. Was that how tiring it can be talking about your own feelings and how tiring it can be talking about yourself and i think that's an important thing for for people to know i think i think ryan you've you've mentioned a number of times about you know your girlfriend for example is pretty good at coming back and just opening up and it 
relieving for her, and that's something that you've tried to learn from. But it is tiring, isn't it? That you know, like if you haven't talk about something, it's difficult for you because you're going through those emotions as you're talking about them. Yeah, and and, and if you're talking to somebody who doesn't quite grasp it, or just was like, oh, go on, just tell me what's going on. You seem different, and you sort of feel like, well, you're not really the right person to to share it with. I mean, I never listened. I sorry, I wasn't on the podcast. I just listened to it back. Uh, a lot of it resonated with me because people might see from Twitter recently. I shared a story about someone we know who, who who had a stroke, and I know how devastating that is. And it's not just devastating for the person it happens to it, it; it's devastating to all those who are connected to that person. And to be one of six, and that happened to your mum, and be the second oldest, but still only be twelve years old. I mean, that is such a difficult situation for anyone to go through. What I really, really, really liked about an element of the story was when she said that when she went to the doctor, she was with her dad and the dad sat there and went through and I thought, how brilliant of a dad to to have been going through what he was going to, looking after the mum, going to work, supporting six kids, but to spot that this needs sorting, she's not right. Go there, speak on her behalf, because, I mean, we talk about this on the podcast all the time, that men aren't good at those things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's quite commendable that the dad spotted that and all that was going on and, with her help, obviously, when went there and started trying to get it um, back on track. So, what a what a really tough, tough character she is to have gone through that at such a young age, and she probably supported her, her family and her siblings in ways that you can't even imagine through that difficult time. So, I just think I just think she really was a humble, honest person who deserves all the success in the world. Yeah, and and you you mentioned the video before, and the the it, the football saved my life video, um, which is it, it's I think it's on it's one of Isla's pinned tweets. I think is 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 about it. Um, her her Twitter is at Isla Buchanan eight. Um, her Twitter uh, she's got a really interesting Twitter feed. I mean, we've talked about a few different people who've been on the podcast that are about their Twitter feeds. Johnny Sharples for one, obviously Carl Hanker as well. Isla's is interesting as well for someone who's again so young. She's very open about when she's going through the down days as well as the up days. And I think that's important to recognise as well, that it's 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 not so much about it being something that's, the, you know, with, with mental health, it's not so much about being a start point and an end point. It's about something that you're living with all the time and having to to to, to manage on an ongoing basis. So I, I, I'd get over and, and give Isla's Twitter a follow because I think that's, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of positive stuff on there about, you know, I think what, what we can often mean to we always talk about off off air for us is making sure that the episodes aren't upsetting for people in so much as like we want them people to take something from it positively don't we yeah. from the, the difficulties and i think isla's a really good example of that of she's going to have down days but she uses it to to express how she can come back from it positively and how she can still be upbeat and have a nice life and enjoy herself and be progressive with their refereeing but it doesn't mean that there aren't difficulties going on in the background they're not solved there are things that need constant management and and looking after and I think that's as much as anything else I think for anybody who's in that position who's not feeling as though they can talk about it I think that's something important for people to know that it's not going to just by talking about it you're not going to sort it out but it's on the way to being able to make yourself feel better and you and it's something that needs going over time and again and keeping on top of and the stuff that we talked about with Lance I think links into that as well about not just looking at it as a big thing that you have to solve but something that maybe you can tackle in small chunks I think that's really important for people to to know when they they sort of go down this road of, of starting to look at their issues with their mental health 
I think Aaron Connolly said the, uh, some of the things, didn't he? Said that, like uh, he had like a little toolbox of stuff that he'd he'd, he'd use, and when he didn't use it, it it, it never really uh, well, kind of ended up in a in a period of of you know uh, his life that, that that I think he would look back on and and think oh, I probably should have used those those tools. It it kind of is that you know you kind of got to uh, grab these things that you learn every every day, and uh, then there's a lot of like cliche stuff of like you know. Um, you've got to learn things, and you build it up and experience and stuff like that. But it 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 is true. You've you've got to use those those little techniques, those little tips, those those little you know breaks that you you can get, and they will help. Um, Neville Southall said the similar thing. He got he said you know if I'm having something, let's see what it is, let's see how I can deal with it. Is it going to last twenty minutes? Is it going to last an hour? Is it going to be longer? don't just react straight away to it don't just fight it straight away let's see what i've got and it, it it's it, it's actually quite a useful tip you know and that only comes from experience doesn't it it only comes from from knowing what you're going through the first time it'll it'll happen to you it is quite daunting and that's where the the kind of not shame that's where the kind of i don't want to speak about this because i don't know if anyone's going through it comes from because it's really hard to to put into words what's happening because it's different for everyone. There's a lot of things out there that say, you know, it's this box, it's that box, it's oh, you're feeling like this, it must be feeling like that. And it's never really like that. Um, you know, me and you, Dan, have, have gone through completely contrasting um emotions and 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 ways we've dealt with things. And I think when the majority of the, the mental health stuff that comes to to people that you have to learn is, is kind of like tick boxy, you know, you fit into this category, you fit into that category. It's not really like that and it never really will be like that. So it's um it's just interesting how you've got to learn from your own experience. And I think Isla does it really well. I think Aaron Connolly did it really well and never sell for managed to understand that brilliantly. You know, you've got to work it out yourself first of all and then express it and i think the communication that lance was talking about is fantastic you know you've got to learn to do that and it's what we're trying to do as well we're trying to make people well not make people trying to help people get to that point where they can talk or write about it and i think when you're talking about either's um, twitter feed that is a it's almost like a journal in a kind of way Some, yeah. sometimes with those those tweets and it's probably quite cathartic fair to do them and and get some support and just get like a little a little tweet that says oh don't worry you got this you're fine you'll be okay any need any, ever need to talk go for a walk go for a coffee or whatever so it is and that's the that's the great element of, of social media and, and it's used as a community kind of way yeah um, i think i think that's that's a good point as well that we spoke on the episode on monday with lance where we were talking at the end about some of the maybe some of the negativities of social media and I think there are some positives to it, particularly with with Twitter. I think at the moment, obviously, our Twitter feed on on the Man Marking page is is full of these different types of people and places that are encouraging better engagement with mental health. And there's quite a positive angle that you get from it. I don't know about YouTube, but you, it's very um, it's very positive. Most of the things that we see on there, and I think, as you say, with with Isla getting that that feedback from people and being able to interact with people, I think it's important. Um, and it's just making sure that you use that in the in the correct way, uh, chaps. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up there. I'm gonna wrap us up. Thanks to you both for for joining us today, as per usual, and giving us your your thoughts. And 
and thanks to you for for listening our listeners and and we'll be back again on uh, on monday mhfa mental health first aid ceo simon blake so that was a really interesting conversation for us to have so we'll be bringing you that on on monday and if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the others that we've done then if you could jump over to apple podcast the itunes give us a, a little rate and a review five stars would be fantastic then we'd really appreciate that and um, we're going to leave you now with with either's quick fire if you want to get in touch with us you can find us on twitter at mark and underscore man and don't forget to use the hashtag where's the talking lads and if you want to send us anything else via email you can email us at manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time easy if you could officiate in any other sport what would it be basketball basketball I did a lot of it yeah I did a lot of it at college um so I think um basketball I did a lot of it. I did sort of officiating basketball quite a bit uh, when I had my injury so that kind of helped a wee bit with Flynn so I think basketball yeah oh, cool is it easier to referee men or women men by a mile <laughs> I love refereeing the fe- female games but whew, the arguments and the yelling that goes on within the females games it's quite bitchy at times if I don't if you don't mind me saying that um it can be really extreme at times but definitely definitely the men i'll uh, i'll refrain from commenting so i don't get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> which footballer if any did you pretend to be growing up oh lisa evans like <laughs> you know lana cleland lana cleland you're obviously from Perthshire. um definitely definitely her and seeing her build up her career to to progress on um to the national team and playing in italy and obviously like there's Got to be a bit of my Messi and Ronaldo. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> every young kid, come on. That's ambitious. That is ambitious. Oh, gosh, yeah, for me, come on. <laughs> there is a reason why I did decide to go in the referee and, and pa- pass up football because I was I was useless. <laughs> why haven't you become a ref fan? Oh, I don't know. It's when... <laughs> Most memorable football moment? Oh, that's a tough one. I think definitely being asked to, like, go to to Abu Dhabi and Oman the first time being so young I think overall football and then um, speaking at the, the recent um, McDonald's Awards um, at, at Hamden um, you know being so young as well it was that day two are definitely my most memorable ones Okay so uh, Scottish Twitter can you help me navigate it? <laughs> oh, that's, that's brilliant do you not understand some of the language There's some of it I do and then some of it I have to sit there for about 10 minutes and, and, and read it and read it and read it and still don't get it but yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant yeah some of the language that, that is used within Scottish football or just Scottish in general is, is can be uh, yeah you really need to, to focus on it at times I um, remember I was in a taxi with my auntie here in Dundee <laughs> Um, which is half an hour drive from Perth, and I had not clue what the guy was saying. It was, <laughs> oh, no, you're a king. I, I had not a, a single clue. Man knew everything that was going on. I was just sitting there dead quiet and, you know, had not a clue what was going on. But, yeah, some of it can be a bit a bit extreme at times. I was obviously looking at, yeah, where you lived before on, on Google. <laughs> and um, <laughs> obviously we came up with Scoon. Scoon, yeah, well done. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Okay, but I had a little bit of a further look in, and there's an Isle of Road, 
yes. are you named after Isla Rose? <laughs> I used to say that when I was younger. So if we, you know, went on drives or whatever, I would be like, oh, this is my road. And I'm going to be honest with you, the houses on that road are humongous, absolutely huge. So I always used to say, oh, um, you know, driving along Isla Road, oh, you know, I'm named Isla, you know, I'll, I'll have a house on here one day. Yeah, sadly, sadly not. I wish, but no, sadly not. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Dean obviously famously celebrated an advantage decision that he gave in a Spurs game. Have you ever been tempted to follow suit? 100%. Um, <laughs> my granddad, so he always comes to, to my game swim referee and I always stand side, uh, side of the pitch. And so if I do give a, an advantage that leads to a goal, I turn around and look at him and I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> brilliant. And I always like to say to the guy, I says, I did see that foul, but I played the advantage. And if I do have a wee bit of bickering or moaning from some of the players, I was like, do you want the goal? Or I can bring it back to the foul if you want. I mean, it's your choice. Uh, just to kind of wind them up a wee bit. But uh, yeah, it's a, great, it's a great feeling when you, you've seen the foul, you play the advantage, you're running on the play and they score from it. You feel, it feels like a really proud moment, like a proud mum. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Like an assist. Yes, oh, exactly. Like I'm just running with the whistle, but I've just helped him this this team score a goal. <laughs> Jerry Cinnamon, is he a god in Scotland? Absolutely. I for my 18th birthday, me and my sister Cara went to transmit the first time it had been in Scotland and um he was there and we stayed with my auntie and uncle through in Glasgow and Mulder cousin, he was like have you, have you never heard of him? And we were like, no, never really knew who he was. And my cousin was like, oh, we used to hang around down at the park together. You know, we just lived along the road. Um, and we went to see him and it was like an absolute riot. It was the most <laughs> jumping sort of place I've ever, I've never seen anything like it. It was kind of goosebumps for, for my first proper, you know, 18-year-old festival. That was brilliant. Uh, but yes, definitely uh, a godsend uh, within within Scotland. 